Welcome to ASRM Today, a podcast that takes a deeper dive into the current topics in reproductive medicine. I'm Jeffrey Hayes, and today on the show, we're speaking with Dr. Seagal Klipstein about the recent Ethics Committee opinion, Moving Innovation to Practice. Dr. Klipstein is board certified in obstetrics and gynecology, as well as reproductive endocrinology and infertility, and holds a fellowship in medical ethics. Dr. Klipstein, welcome back to Thank ASRM Today. Thank you so today. much. It's good to be here with you. <laughs> so diving right into it, the line between research and innovation is not always crystal clear. My question for you then is, what are some of the points that the Ethics Committee wanted this opinion, if not necessarily to enlighten, of course, but possibly refresh us that are in the field? Yeah, no, thanks. It's a great question. So the way I see it, there are three kind of buckets. One is established clinical care, things that we do and we know has worked and that we have outcomes data and safety data and, and everything is pretty determined already. And so we can guide our patients and tell them, here are the risks, here are the benefits, here's the chance that things, things will work. And so that's one bucket. And that's the kind of, you know, you come to your doctor and your doctor offers you treatment and, and that's what you get. Then on the other hand of it, on the kind of other side of the spectrum is research. And so research, by virtue of being research, is not necessarily known what the outcomes will be. It's not known if it's going to benefit the patient or not. So research has to be done usually under a clinical trial, often with uh, institutional review board approval. And the consent that patients give for that type of process is very different. And the important thing to know is that when you're coming to your doctor, right, as a patient, and when a doctor offers a patient treatment, if it's clinical care, the assumption is it's established, and if and and the assumption is that it's helping the patient in front of you. So you, as the patient, are going to be benefited by the treatment. At least that's that's the intention. And you, as the doctor, are doing everything possible to help the patient in front of you. With research, that's not always the case. The research may or may not benefit the patient directly, but certainly the goal is that the information from the research will benefit other similar patients in the future, and that's important to convey. Innovation is somewhere in between the sort of gray zone on the spectrum between clinical care and research. And that's what makes it so interesting and fascinating and a little bit fraught with ethical issues because, you know, every piece of research comes with an idea and every advance starts with an idea and every advancement to clinical care um, starts with an innovation, right? And so the question then becomes, is that innovation being provided to your patient to help your patient? Is that innovation something that you think might help other patients and you're, you're kind of testing it out? But what's really important, I think what's really critical is to understand um, what you're offering the patient and as a patient to understand what you're being offered and to have the proper consent in place so that everybody knows what exactly the, the intention is, whether it's to help you, whether it's to help research, whether it's to do both, whether um, you know perhaps the clinical, the standard clinical care hasn't worked. And so an innovation is being attempted in order to try and help without uh, knowledge of you know, certainty that it will help. Um, and so it's kind of like a mini research project on one patient, right? And so that has to really be conveyed very clearly at the onset. And, and of course, this segues for us, or at least for me, as, as we're sitting here chatting, talking about funding in, in, in general, are there certain types of research that are more restrictive with funding that would be considered more, as we're talking about innovation, are there innovative areas that don't receive as much funding that maybe should or... 
Yeah, we're we're actually in um, a, a bit of a precarious situation as a field because there are limits on funding that are due to federal restrictions on embryo research and assisted reproductive research. And so many of the questions that are very important for us to have answers to that have to do with, you know, egg freezing or embryo development or outcomes research or genetic testing um, are not funded by federal grants um, that are NIH-backed. Um, and so we have to find different kinds of research funding. Certainly, the American Society for Reproductive Medicine is very aware of this and several years ago uh, founded a research institute. And part of the research institute initiative was to uh, address knowledge gaps that are due to lack of funding. And so certain studies that we feel are very valuable, but that don't have the appropriate funding to move on, at least from a federal level, can be funded and that important information and important questions uh, can be answered that way. And so that's really um, an invaluable service that ASRM is providing. Of course, other issue that one has to consider is where does the funding source come from? And oftentimes funding comes from industry and industry has its own set of considerations that are perhaps different than funding from other sources. And so while it is wonderful to have industry funding of, of research and financial support that way, one has to consider that the funding is supporting research that on the one hand, of course, uh, is aimed at benefiting patients, but on the other hand, has a focus on profitability and, and financial reward for the sponsoring uh, company or, or institution. On the one hand, you can move research forward that might otherwise not be funded, so that's critical. On the other hand, there are things like uh, we know that positive outcomes are more likely to be uh, published than negative outcomes, and so you don't always get the full picture. Um, sometimes there's a limited, limited amount of uh, sharing of information because there's a competitive market, which is different from kind of pure academics where you do research and you publish your findings and everybody can benefit from that. Sometimes, you know, industry can offer perhaps undue incentives to physicians to use their product. And so that's important. And sometimes, you know, products continue to or treatments or medications continue to be marketed even when research later proves them ineffective. And, and I think, you know, part of that is that many of us want to believe that things work. And when you uh, run out of options that are standard of care, you look to other options. And so part of that is driven by physicians, but part of that is also driven by patients who uh, are requesting treatments that perhaps are not either beneficial or founded in fact. And, and what we often find is that treatments, you know, that start as, as innovations and many treatments do that sometimes continue and there's research on them and they're found to be beneficial. And other times the research disproves them. And when the research disproves them, you know, the onus is on physicians to not offer them to patients, but sometimes patients uh, still want them. And so there's a lot of education, I think, that goes on into this. There's a, a big discussion now uh, kind of in the, in the greater public about fertility add-ons. And so what is something that is an add-on to your treatment that is helpful and what is an add-on that is not helpful and who pays for these add-ons? Um, and I think the other question is if you're paying for a treatment and the treatment is an innovation, or perhaps you're, as a clinic, you're trying to do research on a new innovation, you should really let the patient know this. And, and I think it's uh, something to keep in mind that it's not really ethically just to ask a patient to pay for being a research subject. They're volunteering and they should be uh, either reimbursed or not reimbursed, but they shouldn't be bearing the financial burden of uh, taking on a research project where they don't know if they will benefit or not. And so it's really important. Again, it comes down to informed consent and making sure that everybody is aware of what the incentives are and what the benefits and risks and potential outcomes might be from any given treatment or intervention. Are there any tips then, you know, because as you're talking here about how Dr. Google can work against 
patients, you know, who are so eager to receive care. So they come in, they're very vulnerable. You want to get some informed consent. You don't want them to fall into what you call the try anything trap. Are there certain points that the ethics committee believe that we can briefly touch on here for care providers, like as far as dealing with patients and and trying to, to think about this? Yeah, I think first of all, um, when a patient comes in, it's really the onus is on the physician uh, to explain to the patient what the the sort of array of options might be. And not only what are the array of options, but which options would be appropriate for any given patient, because something that might be standard of care for one person would potentially be an innovation or novelty or, or outside of the accepted standard of care for another patient. And so that's important to keep in mind. I think uh, in addition Anything that we offer patients should be discussed in terms of benefit and harm. And, you know, patients in the end have autonomy. They get to decide what they want to do or not do and which treatments they want to try. But that doesn't mean that the physician should offer things that they know are futile or not successful or potentially harmful. And so there's a a balance there and communication is key. I think as a patient, it's important to ask the physician, have you done this before? Have you had success with this? Why are you using this and not something else? Is this standard of care? Is this not standard of care? Do you think it will help me? And also to ask, do you have any potential conflicts of interest? Are you doing a research study and and you think that this will help the research? Or is there some sort of a a financial incentive to you offering me this this treatment? Now, it, it may, you know, treatments cost money and it may be that the treatments are helpful and it's it's absolutely appropriate to charge for treatments. But if the treatments are experimental and if the treatments are not necessarily known to help and we're just learning what that um, data is for those treatments, it's really important to convey that to patients. So one of the other interesting and important points here is that the type of research that we do, whether it's true research or innovation, does not necessarily have answers right away. And so it could be potentially many years from an innovation being utilized until it's known whether it benefits or harms the either the patient or the potential uh, resulting children. And so it's really important to uh, whatever innovation and, and treatment we offer when it's not either established care or done under a research protocol, it's still important to try to have outcomes data and to keep records and to try and disseminate that information so that you can use it beyond just your patient and your, and your practice. Is it harder for practitioners than, who, let's say that they work outside, you were mentioning earlier about academics and maybe people who work outside of what I'll call institutional. Is it harder for them to get going with this? Is there a discouragement level, do you, you believe, uh, or maybe the committee might believe with, uh, you know, finding funding? And I guess this all ties back into the ASRM, you know, research institute. Is there a discouragement level that is normal or? Yeah, I mean, I would say our field is, is really unique in that many of the Reproductive endocrinologists um, in the field work in what are considered private practices and not academic practices, and yet a lot of the research comes out of the private practice arena. Um, And so there are ways to affiliate with academia, affiliate with institutional review boards, have uh, uh, ethics and uh, research oversight. So yes, it's a little bit of an extra step for the private practitioners, but but there's really a good precedent and and many private practitioners are doing excellent research, ethical research and uh, IRB approved research. And so I think it's really a a testament to the desire by our physicians and our our, our researchers to want to innovate and improve the field and uh, go beyond what we know um, that we're always seeking knowledge and we're always trying to do it as, as, as well as possible. So just a a kind of a a plug for what I think is one of the amazing things in our specialty. 
Absolutely. And, you know, as always, it's, it's always good to keep in mind that, you know, science takes time. It's just, you can't, you just can't get around it. Uh, my guest today has been uh, Dr. Segal Klipstein. We're, we've been talking about the recent Ethics Committee opinion, moving innovation to practice. Dr. Klipstein, thank you so much for taking time out to be on the show today. My pleasure as always. Thanks, Jeff. You can rate and subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, From these days, I am Jeffrey Hayes, and this is ASRM Today. This concludes this episode of ASRM Today. For show notes, author information, and discussions, go to asrmtoday.org. This material is copyrighted by the American Society for Reproductive Medicine and may not be reproduced or used without express consent from ASRM. ASRM Today Series podcasts are supported in part by the ASRM Corporate Member Council. The information and opinions expressed in this podcast do not necessarily reflect those of ASRM and its affiliates. These are provided as a source of general information and are not a substitute for consultation with a physician.